Welcome. This is Women Behind Wool, a podcast introducing you to the female face of the Australian wool industry. I often find myself writing a lot of good news stories and I'm a bit naughty and I steer away from all the bad stuff. And it's because for the future of our wool industry in particular, we need to spread all the good stuff because we can get bogged down in the bad stuff. Today's guest, Chrissy Frost, is a fifth generation sheep farmer and a first generation rural writer. My family and Chrissy's family go back a long way. We both have merino studs and our fathers were good friends and also um, very competitive with one another. And I remember one of my earliest memories of going down to the Easter show in Sydney was um, the Coonwarra merino stud bus always parked outside they had an old um, bus converted into a um, sheep trailer with the stud name down the side so our paths have crossed all the way growing up and um, we thought it was time to bring her story to light because she is um, doing fantastic things in the industry and she's a really good reflection of so many women who um, are following in the footsteps of their fathers and grandfathers running the family farm um, alongside the rest of their family and, um, you know, not yelling it from the rooftops but just quietly um, continuing the family legacy. Yeah, I'm so glad that you've spoken about her, um, Coomwara and uh, Chrissy's dad because this is a little bit of an emotional listen. She is obviously so influenced by her father and loved him so much and thinks the world of him as a person and what he's been able to achieve in in the sheep industry, in the wool industry. And I think the the best thing about this interview for the layman is it gives you such a good insight into the mind of a sheep breeder. So what things they're looking for, what they're trying to achieve, how this betters the industry and just how much thought goes into it because at the end of the day you will know this pen but it's actually a very very powerful job to be breeding sheep um for the industry and and she gives her spin on that which I also think is refreshing coming from a female next generation but then also including all that she's learned from her father Mm, yeah it is because I mean the the star the sheep studs in Australia ultimately are affecting the direction that the national flock goes in with their genetics her father Sam we call him he um was one of the most influential um stud breeders in I don't know it must have been maybe 70s 80s and 90s <laughs> I'm getting those decades right but he was certainly um Coonwara stud was um, one of the most revered studs um, for a couple of decades and yeah as you said Chrissy um, is very proud of that legacy and um, I think it's part of the reason why she wants to work so hard to continue to uphold it. Yes we certainly growing up as a child dad we used to buy rams from Coonwara and so they're definitely part of our story as well and the other interesting thing Pen, is what I'm finding through this series of Women Behind Wool is there is a lot of chat about the ram shed. It's obviously been influential in lots of people's lots of women's lives in in the industry. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Well I guess 
you know, it's the same as, I don't know, the lambing shed or, you know, other things like that. We don't have a lambing shed anymore, but traditionally they're the places where you can get up close with the animal and you get to know them, you know, because normally when you're just bringing in a mob of sheep and drenching them, you send them back out to the yards and you don't get to know a sheep one-on-one, whereas I guess the ram shed or lambing, things like that is where you do spend a lot of time with them. Maybe that's why. It keeps popping up in conversation. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's exactly it because you develop this relationship one-on-one, which you don't get out in the paddock. And they also probably mm. behave differently on their own as opposed to when they're with others in a mob, which is just human nature, isn't it? Yeah, so true. And when they're used to being around humans, like their character comes out a bit more. And it's so important from a breeding point of view because you're really seeing all the breeding traits um, up close as well. So we hope you enjoy this interview. It's um, She's really a lady that we could not have on Women Behind Wool and um, hopefully you'll see that too as you learn more about her story. One of the, the earliest memories I have is actually not in the shearing shed as much as it is in what my dad used to call the ram shed. And in that ram shed we had his show sheep, um both rams and ewes and um the distinct and and this is funny because at such an early age and it's never left me was the smell up there and not even and and the lanolin and that so dad used to um be with those sheep an awful lot um I think that's where he got his ability to really dissect uh, the genetics of a sheep um, and how to grow um, the sheep that he he thought was the perfect fine medium wool sheep in his area, but so my my memory is with my father in the ram shed as such. I have other memories of being in the shearing shed, doing some rouse abouting, my fingers developing chillblains because it was so cold, um, and and. And having having those memories just remind you where and where we grow these amazing animals actually in these such extreme climates. So yeah, that'd be my two main first memories. Yep. So the ram shed has been a little bit of a feature already in this season of Women Behind Wall. For people that don't know, can you just explain? why it needs to exist and what happens there. Okay, so everyone could do that a little bit differently. I would say ours are in there six months a year. So when when you tag a stud ram, that is you tag it for a March shearing or an August shearing, we traditionally have March shearing for our stud sheep, but we have this year introduced August, which will mean there will be more sheep in the shed or sheep in the shed more months of the year. So with you, when you show a sheep, you have a March shorn category or an August shorn category. Uh, I do know of other people that do put their rams straight in the shed as soon as they're shorn for March, but we don't because we believe that a ram or any sheep needs to be out in the elements also needs to eat natural pastures because the other thing is you still want that ram. They may not all make 
the show mat. They may become your sire and you don't show them or they may be sold in our on-property sale. So often feeding them the, the, the feed that you do and the nuts and things that you feed them in their head can um, sometimes decrease their ability to produce a lamb, have a lamb. <laughs> Does that make sense? Do you yes. know what I'm like, Yes. Yeah. And for people that don't know, why do they need to be in the shed? Why do you keep them in the oh. shed for a period of time? Okay. They're looked after there. It's um, we trim their feet. We trim their wool. We also open their wool a lot. So if there's any cross fibers in the wool, to handle the wool more actually improves the wool. You'll find that. Also, you will see genetically, you're giving them the opportunity to see them at their full genetic potential. So you could pick out 10 rams and go, wow, they're fantastic. They're all fantastic. How are we going to decide between these rams? Okay. Um, they're side sampled, they're tested, so they have all their um, fleeces uh, from micron to comfort factor, standard deviation and everything. They're, and so the, then you can say, okay, they've all got good tests. How are they going to grow? In that six months, you may see a ram that absolutely takes off. Takes off, still has, it's still a baby, basically, two, two, long staple, big ram. Then you have one that you may have thought was going to come along. It doesn't come along. You know, the thing is, there's so it's so intricate when you start looking at it. So then you start going back to the genetics. I wonder why that's happened. Sometimes it just happens. Sometimes rams or ewes just don't come on. So I don't know whether that answers your question as to why you keep them in the shed. I think you keep a really good eye on them. You look after them. You pamper them. You do the um, wool test, your Australian Wool Testing Authority, which I find really interesting. And for some classes, when you actually are showing them, you can do um, yield tests as well, which is really important. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting actually to have them all up there. And with my boys in particular, um, they spend a lot of time with them, quieting them down. They're beautiful, actually. They're beautiful. They're all got different personalities. They become playful. Some of them don't want anything to do with you. It's really funny seeing the different bloodlines too. You can sort of nearly pick the friendlier ones. You hate to say it, but they're almost like your pets, but they're not really. They are a little bit. <laughs> so by the time you get them on the show mat, you know they are either they they're numbered, so they're tag not a sharing tag, but they're they they have their tag number. So if they got a cool number, they might end up just being called that number or something. Or oh, we had this really good you called Nelly. She was a beautiful you. She was grand champion, great Southern Supreme in the fine medium wool class. And we did some embryo transfers and we ended up with her son in the shed. And my dad looked at me and he said, do you like that ram? And I said, oh, yeah, 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 it looks all right. And he said, do you know what his name is? And I said, no, Dad. And he said, it's Nelson. So it was Nellie's son. <laughs> so we, yeah, look, we it's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome actually. And so we we refer to them quickly. We know what we're talking about and yeah, what animal we're talking about. Yeah. Also, just to backtrack a tiny bit, you talked about looking at the genetics. So for someone for someone who may be listening in the city, what kind of genetics are you looking for? What sort of things? Okay, so I think that's really personal and for your own um, environment and your management and exactly what sort of merino 
or wool type that you want to grow or achieve. So for us, it's a balancing act. Over the years, I think we, we, we focus a lot on the amount of wool grown and we still want to keep that, but maybe we took the elastic band too far and we actually lost, would you say, the quality of wool, probably quality of wool. They were a little bit and maybe weren't pretty enough or a bit broader than we wanted in micron, lower in comfort factors. So now we look at a sheep for us when we genetically choose to introduce outside genetics, there are a few things that we look at in particular. That is wool staple. It is how that wool type will work in our environment because we have high rainfall and that's incredibly important because we need to keep the rain out of wool. It's to have that white, bright wool. And the other thing, which is huge and which my dad was renowned for and we will keep that and we all love it, is a strong head. We actually um, obtained some semen from a stud that we are very we're good mates with in that. We want to try them and I asked him about a particular ram and he said, I wouldn't do that to you because he said the head's not good enough, the pebble bar, because he knows how important that is to us. Mm. So there are a lot of things that you look at and weigh up when you choose what to, with the genetics you're going to introduce into the thalabar type. So we need to keep that thalabar type. We just need to enhance it in certain areas. And we knew we needed to better the wool. And I don't think you can ever, ever stop trying to improve what you are producing. There's so many elements that need to be taken into consideration. But we're also, when you, with genetics, and choosing those correct genetics won't always be correct. And you have to be prepared for that to be wrong. And you and and produce to produce an article. So these are your bloodlines. So you can't just sell all your stock and then turn around and buy 2000 news from Victoria that you saw on sale. That is not going to cut it. It is so important that you keep down your actual. I guess you would say your, as I, I keep referring to your type, but they're they're irreplaceable. They are they are irreplaceable, and and that 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 is why you would personally, or we would, we sell off dry, as in weathers, we'll sell them off before we would looking look at selling off any core breeding stock. We digress. I'm so sorry, but I'd love to Chrissy learn more about your late father who uh, you lost recently and what he has instilled in you in this your journey in wool um dad's instilled a few things um i think firstly um just to cut to cut to what the way i remember dad and um and what he would i often think um, sorry, this is a little bit hard for me to talk about. Mm. So he instilled in me that you don't have to actually follow the crowd, which is quite interesting. So, yes, you have to follow what the industry is doing. I think you have to be on top 
of that and know and that's where my work comes into and you have to know exactly what's going on in the trends that are happening in the industry but he he never did exactly what the industry did because merino is quite complex and I keep referring back to growing a merino in your environment and your type and he was hell-bent on growing that type of wool that suited a high rainfall area like Rukul with the extremes the cold the heat but he would buck a trend and he would, back to genetics, I still remember him doing things that nobody else in the industry would think of doing at that, that time. So it's really about thinking outside the square, pulling that elastic band to a point where it doesn't bust, just to see how far you can push it or pull it, and you'll know if it's gone too far. The other thing he instilled in me was because he loved showing so much, he was such a good man. He was so humble in victory and gracious in defeat. He always spoke so well of every other breeder and that didn't matter what breed. He had a quality that he had that fierce determination but he was able to recognise the achievements of others just as much as his own. So I think that's a really important quality that I hope, I hope I and my sons will carry on. And my daughters. <laughs> yeah. He sounds I, like such a wonderful man. He was a wonderful man. He was a one of a kind and a lot of people say that about people relatives their fathers their friends that they lose and often it's not until we lose them that we recognize how extraordinary they were mm. in everyday life yeah and a powerful they have a powerful influence when you speak about your dad Chrissy because this story is so interesting because you have been so highly influenced by your father and then you are the woman who's taking things forward do you want to follow fully in his footsteps I honestly think there's elements that I would like to follow in his footsteps I have been asked this question before and I have said no but you know that was I was asked that question four weeks after he died so it's been a little bit more time now and I can't emulate what my father did I know that because I often refer back to the industry being in a completely different position than it was when he was at the top of the industry but there are aspects that I do hope to follow in his footsteps and to be specific one is and I keep referring to it he virtually made the fine medium wall type he made that and he had the influence on other studs. I would like to get that to that point again where we do influence other studs. I want people to be looking at our wolves and our sheep and saying, we're going to try Thalabar because they are outstanding. So, yes, in my own way, I will follow the best to I can in his footsteps. That, that's the best way I can answer that at this moment. And I think if you ask me in 12 months' time the same question, 
I may give you a different answer because I think this is going to be a, a road that we're going to take one step at a time. To be truthful about it, I think we need and I need and the whole industry as a whole just needs to, I guess, believe, believe that there is a really good future in wool and be positive about it. And I think at Thalabar, we will do our part to do that. So in a way, of course, I'm following in his footsteps because he loved it so much. And I hope that I love, love it just as much as him in the end. You do, don't you, at the minute? Oh, yes, I do. But I think he was so good at it naturally. So he had a natural ability and not, and I think not everybody has that. I'm not saying I don't have ability. I have to believe in myself, but he was, you know, he was a bit of a master at it. (laughs) I don't mean this in a um, condescending way in any sense, but are you his protege? Do you, did you feel like that as you were growing up? No, not, I didn't. I think it was only later that he saw that I truly, I think, loved the Merino and I loved what he did and I loved what the Merino produced and that is the best wool in the world. I don't think it was probably to the last 10 years that I don't think he would have called me his protege, but he knew that it was in good hands. Hmm. I think, yeah. That's so beautiful. On your journey, how have you felt as a girl, as a female, as a, as a woman doing what's traditionally in your family been done by a male? Didn't really worry me, didn't think about it much. I think I will to say, you know, there was part of me that felt like I can't and, and I still do feel like because I'm a mother of four, you've got to remember that I'm a mother of four and I still write that I can't do all this on my own definitely not and never have been afraid to say that yes there was lots of males and a dominated industry I guess but not these days and I think my job has actually helped that because I speak to so many women that are in so many um, areas of the wool industry that I didn't feel like I was on my own doing it never felt like I was on my own doing it our wool broker is a female she's fantastic our wool broker before that was a was a female and she was fantastic and she's over in WA. She's still a wool broker. I've never felt that alone as a woman or thinking that I was going to struggle. I think there's good people around you that always help you too. Tell me about your role outside of the farm as a national <laughs> sheep and wool writer for, for ACM. Uh, that role came about. Um, I've worked for the ACM company for years and sort of was pretty determined, started writing for the land, was a livestock writer, uh, livestock editor. Once Farm Online became, you know, more predominant and there was the national writer roles, I could only dream of being that national sheep and wool writer because to me that, that was the ultimate, that was the ultimate job. So I did apply, I didn't get it. I don't think I interview particularly well and I probably don't interview particularly well in this podcast. Anyway. You do. <laughs> anyway, it um, came up again, went for it again. I'd actually just given birth not long ago, like uh, when the interview happened, to 
uh, my third child, Sadie. And it was so bu- I was so busy being that new mother again that when I was interviewed over the phone, I was just like cutting to the chest going, yes, I know I can do this. It's what I love. It's what I am. I live and breathe it. You know, give me a chance. And hence they did. And I absolutely love it. I'll be totally honest. Like I, I need it for an off-farm income like a lot of people, but it fits so perfectly because I have the opportunity to write about everything or anything in the sheep and wool industry. Often I find myself, I'll listen to my husband or we'll talk about something that's happening at home and it's very current issues that then I will on-farm that I will write about. So there's your on-farm, your markets, really interesting stuff, you know, like the lambing one I did last year was was um, an, it, I called a privacy please. And yes, I think we all know that, and, and, and in particular, Marino has given them a bit of privacy and keep your distance at times and that and keep them in the smaller mobs and things like that. But the actual timing of when a, a you, so a Marino you, like the timing of when another you has a lamb and then the, the next you has a lamb is absolutely amazing where that where things can go wrong and they lose their lamb or they they they're disinterested in their lamb or whatever things in our industry now are evolving so quickly and people are analyzing what's going on from the paddock that we have so many insights that we can then place onto our own own sheep operation it's just like I'm actually going to like sheep school at mm-hmm. least once a week. Yeah. You know? Um, and they're wonderful. They're wonderful to talk to. They genuinely, the people that you speak to and you meet in the industry, they're in, so invested in the industry. They're there for a reason. Often they have their own sheep enterprise and they want to better theirs. I also love the wool side of it. And I really love talking to wool growers those ones that stuck with the wool industry when things went pear-shaped, I guess. And these guys aren't going to shift from wool anytime soon either, I don't think. I love talking to those ones and I also love speaking to the younger generations that are coming through and they can see the when it's run properly, what a profitable enterprise a merino is and can be. They're smart, they're switched on. They're hardworking. By interviewing these people, I'm enthused, but I also get to spread the word of what talent we have out there and what hardworking people we have out there. I love that. So important. Your role, like this this coming together of your knowledge um, of the genetics of the sheep industry and just the um, empathy for how the community operates in um uh, interviewing people in the industry and then spreading the word and knowing whether this development is important or that development isn't important important and all the like subtle context around that your role is so important really oh uh, it is I I consider it incredibly important some people may not um but for me it is I don't even know how to actually. Because there's people that no one can come into a position, could fill your position with the same level of knowledge that you have, I don't think. Or it would be difficult to do that. Maybe. And I think, you know, the good thing about this is that I get, I probably have got better and I've got better 
writing about the industry, but I've also got it really helps on in our business as well. The only thing is I often find myself writing a lot of good news stories, especially about wool, and I'm a bit naughty and I steer away from all the bad stuff. And it's because for the future of our wool industry in particular, we need to spread all the good stuff because we can get bogged down in the bad stuff. And there is a few bad things that are going on. There really are. I should clarify that there are a lot of challenging things surrounding us and the future of all. But as long as, I think as long as us as producers and our leaders in the industry make wool significant, there is a huge future. And that, but that is also part of my job. I need to make wool and sheep significant. I know that you are blown away by the sheep, the merino sheep itself, and you think it's just absolutely extraordinary. Can you tell me why? Oh, there's nothing else in the world that can do what it can do. It's You've got a sheep that you put in the paddock, eats good pasture, will basically grow you the most beautiful fibre in the world and as well as producing meat. I know we're talking about wool, but it does. No, yeah. They do. They, what other animal can do that? They're amazing. They produce this premium fibre. And just to end, Chrissy, tell me about wool and yeah. as in actual garments um, and textiles and, and what kind of um, part it plays in your life, family life. As in I wouldn't buy anything else but wool or is that what you <laughs> that's Okay, so I've got wool on. I, wool is everywhere for me. I'm always looking at it for myself, obviously, for my children, for my bedding. Wool is amazing because of its qualities to uh, when I get nervous, I sweat a lot, right? So, um, <laughs> no, I do. Like I just sweat and I just, oh, I hate this, you know. And I'm always, if you put on a wool garment, it regulates you. It's, it's really, it's, it's amazing how it can do that. I just love a wool blanket. I just love a wool blanket. Nothing can, nothing in the world can take place of that. Yeah, I'm just thinking, you've got me thinking about, yeah, I just, every time I, I look, like, honestly, every time I go shopping, and I love shopping, I will pull out that jumper, I love winter, and the first thing before I do anything else is I look at the label, because I want to know what it's made out of, and if it's wool. It's seeing a huge resurgence year on year on year, as the sustainability message gets um, stronger, and the options get more accessible. I think wool is is just going to continue to grow and grow. Totally agree. Totally agree. And I think that's why we need to not worry. You know, we really just have to concentrate on breeding and doing what we do best and breeding these beautiful merinos that produce these these beautiful fibres. I really believe it, the wool industry will thrive, thrive. I really do. Well, Chrissy, that's the perfect place to leave it. Thank you so much for um, sharing all you know and all you do and your story with us on, on Women Behind Wool. And it's been lovely to get to know more about you. Thank you, Sky. It's good to talk to you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Women Behind Wool. We hope you're 
enjoying these stories and um, and we'd love for you to share them with your friends and, and let us know on Instagram if you've been listening and if you've enjoyed it. You can find us at Women Behind Wool. Um, you can also read more about some of our guests and the Women Behind Wool project in the June issue of Australian Women's Weekly on sale May 19th. Um, so please do have a read, join us on Instagram um, and give us your feedback. We'd love to hear what you think. <laughs>